Sometimes it's a lovely bake, but sometimes it's a bit dreadful. Welcome to the Gingham Altar. I'm Mac. And I'm Megan. Each week we tackle another episode of everyone's favorite baking competition, the Great British Bake Off. And after we've said our piece, we try to put our bakes where our mouths are and replicate some of the recipes from today's episode. This week we are tackling Season 5, Episode 7. It's the infamous Pastry Week. Yep. I didn't think that this Pastry Week was especially infamous. No, uh, like it was actually pretty mild. I mean, I made a, a good weeknight dinner with it. I didn't even look at the clock while I was making mine because I knew I was going to come in so under time that it wasn't even worth setting the timer. Clearly, neither one of us did the Queen Amon, which was really strange. Right. But I kind of want to try. What? And it just looks like a muffin. Yeah. A fancy <laughs> one, but still. <laughs> like, I get really intimidated by laminating dough. So I guess that part, I mean, the part where you're whacking butter with a rolling pin, I find kind of intimidating. But aside from that, yeah, it was a fancy muffin. Did we talk on the podcast about how I went to a shop that just sold crumpets when I was in Seattle? What? <laughs> it's literally it's called open. the Crumpet Shop. Oh. Uh, with, you know, an E on the end, because obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, and I, I bet they, they didn't sold even all sell tea. The, yeah, I mean, they sold like coffee and things like that. But like, as far as food went, it was crumpets or die. <laughs> I and kind I, of have to respect their resolve. <laughs> they, my husband has a favorite bar. Actually, I don't know if it's open anymore, but it was where he grew up in upstate New York. They served, I believe, roast beef sandwiches and a cheese plate. <laughs> and then had a great selection of beer. But if you didn't want roast beef sandwiches or a cheese plate, go somewhere else. Because that was what they served. And, like, he said they were really amazing roast beef sandwiches. So I kind of respect that. And that's how I felt. Like, that, like the sort of place that's going to serve you that Queen Amon, mm-hmm. they're the sort of place that's going to charge you, like, $9 for it. Oh, yeah. But it's going to be, like, so twee and it's going to make a great Instagram picture. That is absolutely – I bet that they would be served on, like – grandma's china type stuff that they picked up at yard sales oh yeah and, but you know that none of it matches because they want you to know that it's homey yeah exactly honestly i want my whole kitchen to look like that <laughs> like i want a very twee kitchen in fact i here's an example of how strange i've become i follow the pink bathroom hashtag on instagram <laughs> and since we're talking about this i'll tie into the show i think that a lot of of my style desires for our eventual home when Ryan retires from the military are actually coming from the color palette of the Great British Bake Off because I see their like baby blue mixers and their little mismatched cups hanging in a row and I realize like oh that's why I want pastel cabinetry and that is why you get the idea like it's going to look like a dollhouse, and my husband is going to be so uncomfortable in it, but I'm pretty determined to get exactly what I want. Oh, that's so funny because, like, I feel like my current apartment is pretty homey, Ooh. you know, and has that sort of, like, Grandma's kind of vibe. random and a lot of, you know, different things. And, you know, there's there's all sorts of, like, little touches of our life everywhere. That's sweet. But if I had to, like, build up from scratch, I would be like, my kitchen will be all stainless steel no, and very brightly through, lit. <laughs> going through the industrial sort of love phase. I want stainless steel countertops. I want them so bad I can taste them. There's, I've looked, so one of my hobbies is looking at future potential homes. And a couple of friends and I swap it around on a list. A, oh, not on a list, excuse me, on a group chat. And I've seen houses with the stainless steel countertops, Mac. And they look 
like a prison. I know. And it's so great. (laughs) Speaking of uh, listings that have been going around, did you see the meme of that house that had a sex dungeon in the listing? Yes. Isn't that in Atlanta? Did you want to visit? I didn't want to visit, but I was like, well, I suppose it is an interesting feature of the listing. Yeah, there you go. And it was, wasn't it? Oh, gosh. Was it an Airbnb? Oh, that would be even better. I think uh, I'll have to look The cleaning it. charge there, though, is out of control. <laughs> I have to send in a hazmat team. They wear a big Tyvek suit. Have to use a ventilator. Or, or maybe those people who clean up murder scenes. Oh, yeah. Like Sunshine Cleaning. That was a good movie. It was a sad movie. It was. I thought it was going to be more of a comedy. They marketed it as a comedy. Yes, it is they not. did. Makes me so mad when they do that shit. Because I cannot handle dark very well maybe it was just too black but <laughs> that is not the television show we're here to talk about that's true we are we are here, we are here for pastry week and yes. our signature bake this week were 12 savory parcels to be completed in an hour and three quarters which is not a terrible challenge no i i actually think that's a pretty quick amount of time to turn around something like that yeah because i mean i know i did savory parcels and mine had a 40 minute bake time right and i consider parcels to be what i call like assembly line food yes where making any one of them is not hard what's hard about them is that you can't you're not just making one you need to make 10 or 20 or 50 so that, that's kind of how i feel when i'm making like tamales yeah you've made tamales yeah i have i'm impressed wow and, and that technically would count as a parcel i believe maybe oh, not suppo- not pastry but it, it is a parcel yeah yeah and that's the thing it had to be a pastry parcel so yeah because uh you make those out of a uh, cornmeal poor kate man oh man she really suffered, like, from the get-go. First challenge, she got kicked in the teeth because she was working with a deep-fat fryer. She was doing, like, a samosa-type parcel. And they were so pretty. The dough was a little bit tricky, but she finally gets them in the fryer, and it turns out that the fryer cuts itself off. Like, it has a timer on it that she didn't know how to operate. And it was one of those times where I think she could have done pretty well if her food had been cooked. But yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. So that was right. And and I didn't blame her for that. It's like no. you're using a tool you've never used before. And so I kind of wondered if maybe that's why. So Chetna and Luis also fried theirs. Yes. And Chetna just fried hers in a pan. Yeah. And I wonder if it was because she's like, I don't know that. I don't understand that. That's not what I use at home. So I'm going to cut that complication out of my life well heck yeah i mean i get that for sure and also like sometimes their ovens are wonky or like Mm -hmm. do strange things and yeah unfamiliar equipment every time we move i have to learn a new oven and it makes a huge difference in cook time especially yeah and and luis's were also underdone so i mean both of the people who used the deep fat fryer that was provided didn't really get the best bake on what they were doing Probably would have been better to do the Chetna deal. Do you ever deep fat fry? Very rarely. Uh, I don't do a lot of frying, period. And the biggest thing is because I'm cheap. <laughs> and I don't like, I don't a do it enough. of oil? Yeah. So you have to use all that oil, but I don't fry enough to like reuse that oil. Right. Before it goes bad. And so, you know, I do a few things, but I've actually started doing them in smaller pans and just batching stuff. Nice. So uh, like I make a General Tso's chicken and things like that. I almost never do, partly because we're always sort of halfway watching our weight. And I just try to avoid recipes that feel too naughty. But yeah, I save my naughty for ice cream. 
I wanted actually to do a recipe from this book by Chetna that I have on my shelf that I've never used. And I went through trying to find a parcel that was baked, but hers were all deep fat fried because I think that's kind of the Indian way. Well, and I am more familiar with parcels that are fried. It's just, it's more of a common thing. But I will say actually the empanadas that I make a couple times a year, they are from Cooking Light, so they are baked. Nice. Do they turn out okay? Are they still pretty crispy? Uh, yeah, they turn out pretty good. Uh, the thing is, um, they're covered in an egg wash, mm. so that helps crisp them up a little bit. Pretty color. Yeah, and I mean, they're not like super crunchy because it's, you know, it's whole wheat flour and all that sort of stuff, yeah, but we eat them pretty fast, so. Yeah, and you don't feel like uh, you have swallowed an oil tanker after you finish, so that's right. pretty cool. Well, the, and that's my only thing about savory parcels is, there are a lot of work that's a lot of hands-on time for something that you can eat pretty fast. See, I didn't really feel that way because, for one thing, I made Cornish pasties. And they, I mean, it was basically the same as making a dinner pie. But it, it came together pretty quick. It wasn't super work-intensive. So I guess it's all in how big they are. Because I only made four. And they were, like, meal-sized. Like, Ryan and I each had one. And that was plenty. It was kind of like an alternative to a sandwich or a big slice of pie. Okay. And like, hell yes, I will eat a quarter of a pie in one sitting. I'm not sorry. Have you ever had mint with meat? Yes. Minted lamb. I haven't. And that's, minted lamb is what Richard made in his pasty. And how was it? Odd. <laughs> Odd, but not unappealing. I mean, it, it felt very exotic. Uh, I'd eat it again. It's just not, mint to me is virtually always like a candy flavor. Yeah. Um, it's not something that you you see in a lot of savory stuff. Or a toothpaste flavor. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, I know that it's used a lot more in savory cooking in a lot of the rest of the world, but it's not something that I have had a terribly large amount of experience well, it's with. It's a cool flavor. And it's it feels odd. It's a little bit like the first time you have what you consider type pie type spices with meat. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, this is bizarre, but also delicious. And I feel like, like cinnamon with... A barbecue rub or something like that and i feel like the mint is kind of the same thing where you're like why is there this cooling type flavor with an otherwise like spicy savory dish but it works it works that said i don't make it all the time but i would i mean i would make it more often so we skipped right by but right at the top of the episode kate is talking about how you know the sun is out and the birds are singing and there is the most obvious inserted sound of birds singing over her talking <laughs> I did not. It's like, chirp, 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 chirp. They chirp him real hard. <laughs> yeah, they're like, all right, ADR, calm down. Um. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there was anything else that happened in that challenge that really, honestly, this episode, it went down pretty smoothly, but there wasn't a whole lot that made me think, I don't know, that, that popped out. Yeah, it, I think you're right. It was pretty smooth. I did think that the running gag of Sue putting the pastries in her pockets mm -hmm. as they were walking around with all the judges was pretty fun. Yeah, it's cute. And it's so flattering and like sweet to think, yeah, I, I like that too. The word leakage was used many, many, many times in the first challenge. And uh, what kind, what, what does leakage, what word does leakage make you think of? Moist? No, I was thinking anal. Oh, <laughs> anal leakage. First thing to pop into my head every time because I'm gross. And so I well, wonder. That would create a soggy bottom. Like, <laughs> I was wondering, <laughs> were they thinking it too? And I don't think they were at all. I don't think they were. Yeah. Also, I'm surprised by how well Martha's turned out because 
I feel like beef should pretty much always be at most medium. And I was concerned that her beef was going to get real overcooked while getting her pastry done. And it turned out fine. It looked fine. I thought it worked out really well. But I I don't know. I like parcels. I think it's always kind of a good option. I'll eat them and all there's a reason that they're all over the world. So, you know, it's usually something I try to try if I'm, I'm somewhere new. Mm-hmm. The fun of it, I think, is seeing the different cultures that mm-hmm. got spotlighted. What was your favorite uh, sealing technique? For the parcels. I kind of liked Chetna's just because I was not as familiar with that one. That was my favorite too. Like a kind of almost like a soup dumpling, but flatter. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of neat and it stayed shut and that was cool. I I tend to do more like Luisa's rope around the outside. Well, and I was just thinking, I was like, nobody did like a, well, I guess it's not pastry because like nobody did like an Asian dumpling or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. it's a different sort of thing. Yeah, you're right because rice flour a lot of the time. Anything else about savory parcels? Mm, I think I'm good. The technical this week was, we've already hit on it and how we're like, Meh. was a Queen Amon, which is a traditional Breton pastry. And how long did they have to do that one? It was long. Uh, they had three and a half hours. Holy smokes. Which, and very few ingredients. There's actually a recipe for a Queen Amon in my favorite bread book, Bread Illustrated by Cooks Illustrated. And, or, or maybe it's by America's Test Kitchen. Either way, I'd kind of like to try it just because I really trust that book. And I'd like to know what the hell they were making because none of them knew. Queen Amon, which of course starts with a K. Coogan Amon. Yeah, Coogan Amon is what it is, what it looks like. But it's technically considered a cake. You know, it's like a puff pastry cake. And so it's, you know, muffin shaped, kind of like a caramelized croissant. Well, that makes it sound pretty delicious, actually. And they made it sound like it was, you know, like super old. But from what I'm reading, it's, you know, 1860 is around when it originated. Oh, yeah. I mean, So it's classic, but not in the like, and they made this and gave it to the manor lord kind of way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not old enough to be genuinely weird. A lot of butter bashing, a lot of beaten butter. Right. And this is the kind of pastry work that I hate doing personally. It's very physically demanding. Well, and it's just tedious and, you know, you've got to work it kind of fast because if the butter starts to melt, then you're not going to have your layers and you kind of don't know if all of that's going to come together until you get to the far end of it. And there's a chance you will put in quite a lot of work and then it turns out crappy. Right. Which is why if you were going to do it, if I were to try it, then uh, Cook's Illustrated Recipe would be awesome because they give really great instructions. But they didn't have that luxury. And the big trick, the conceit of this challenge was that they needed to know that there were three folds and therefore three layers. And they should put the sugar in only with the last layer. Yeah, and, and only like two of them did it right. Right. Because everybody was just doing it blind. It was almost more like... It was like a game of Yahtzee. Like it was, you know, two parts luck, one part skill. And so, by the way, I always lose at Yahtzee. It's why Ryan likes to play me. (laughs) Because if it's it's two parts luck, I will lose. But yeah, Richard won. It was two parts luck, one part skill. And uh, Mary wore a really pretty jacket with a crane on it. Oh, I did like that. It was it was an old lady kind of bomber. And I've decided that's the kind of old lady I want to be. The old lady in the bomber jacket. With a crane on it. At the very top of the challenge, Paul is called the Queen of Mean. <laughs> and I liked that. I did too. And he knowingly referred to himself as the male judge while speaking to Nancy, which was funny too. Yep. Like, I know what you said about me. <laughs> and there was a funny moment where 
Kate was saying that she didn't put in, not not with the Queen of Mom, but earlier, I think, she didn't put in a lot of spice and for Mary's sake. And Paul's like, I like spice. And <laughs> so it's like, sorry, Paul. Well, fuck off, Paul. Like, We're making <laughs> our plans for Mary because she's a million years old and a diva. And right. like... <laughs> So that was funny to me, too. So when you're making things that come in, like a muffin tin or things like that, do you have a preferred way of getting them out of the tin? Because we saw a lot of different techniques uh, in this challenge. Well, it's not gentle, but I like to like grease pretty heavily, mostly by pan because I'm lazy. And then I gently put the cooling rack over the top because it's pretty lightweight and flip the whole thing over and give it a little jiggle. And I honestly don't have a lot of problems with things sticking. So it's working okay. See, I'm usually a a heavy PM and then, you know, maybe work a knife around the edges and Mm -hmm. then tip Mm -hmm. them out. We, but there were different people who were, you know, cutting parchment paper to go in the bottom. There were people who made parchment paper strips so that they could lift them out. I have done parchment with a cake in a full-sized round, but I've never done it for a muffin tin. Just the the only other note I have for this section is they this the way the show is made, they do not give a crap about catching people in the background of a shot. There are numerous times where they are talking to people and you just see production people just wandering around in the field outside. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it doesn't really bother me. I know they're there. Like it's not like fostering the illusion that it's just the judges like we know that there are like a poop ton of people there right how much would you love to work on this show and get to eat like little bits of things <laughs> after the end like just scavenge the remains of all these baked goods I'd oh, be yeah, i bet excited. they go through gobs of food yeah definitely because at one point i think it's during the next challenge that they just like pan over and kate's just got like a mountain of lemons in a measuring <laughs> cup or they like they brought her like a potted plant of Greek basil, and I was like, "That's weird." Yep. I mean, she she's gonna use like seven leaves. <laughs> <laughs> you said you wanted basil. We have enough to kill a person. Oh my gosh. So yeah, but I definitely get a little bit of envy. I'm thinking that when we move to Hawaii, when you move to Hawaii, I really want an herb garden, but I kill everything. <laughs> not well, plants anyway. Not everything. Obviously, the cat's still alive, but. Yeah. Um, start. I was like, honestly, start with an inside window box because that way it's like just right there and it's easy to do. Because it's you, the forgetting that kills things, I guess. Right. And if you want to really amp up your skills, mint is almost impossible to kill. <laughs> it's a weed. It's literally a weed. Dale and I used to have this plant when we lived in Tifton that I called Frankenmint because I'd forget to water <laughs> it for two, three, four weeks at a time. And then I'd pour some water on it and it would spring back up into this enormous plant. When I finally moved it over to a new a new planter, I had to break the pot around it because the roots had gotten so dense I could not pull it up and out. Oh my god. <laughs> I'll be making lots of minted lamb in that case. I mean right. good grief. I was looking, I was like, what can you do with mint? And they're like, I mean Mojitos? You can bake with it. You can make creme de mint and give it to people. <laughs> <laughs> Who will be confused. I was like, you seem like the sort of person who drinks a lot of coffee cocktails. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember mint and basil are both things where it's like if they call for it in a recipe, sometimes it's like half a cup. 
Like, right. have you, you've seen recipes, I'm sure, where it's like, oh, yeah, make your own pesto, no big. And then it calls for so much pesto that if you bought it at a regular grocery store, you could spend $30 on basil making this recipe. Because it's like 2 to $4 for the little clamshell package. And I don't even want to think about what the plastic's doing to the sea turtles. But, like, right. yeah. And, so, and you, then you just buy your own plant. Dale's grandma, actually, she doesn't buy the plants. She just, like cuts off or she like breaks off a little twig and puts it in her pocket and grows her own from the cutting that is the cutest thing i've ever heard <laughs> my mom did that once while she was wait 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 so when she does it is she like pick it up on walks or like at other people's gardens is she like furtively stealing cuttings no it like lows oh that's, so she is furtively stealing cuttings <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. My mom did that once because she was walking and she decided that she liked this ivy that people had growing. And she's like, like deliberately went for a walk with a pair of scissors and cut it and like brought it <laughs> home and rooted it in a glass of water. And I was kind of impressed because that some um, MacGyver stealing. And I doubt anybody would mind. It's like, can I no. clip a little? It's not like it's not going to come back. Yeah, exactly. And I can't remember if it lived or not, but I remember thinking that was funny that my mom's like sneaking up to people's fences and like cutting their plants and running away. Anything else to say about the Queen Amon? kind of bored with that one yeah me too on to the showstopper they had four hours to make 24 eclairs of two different flavors so 12 each they had to be made from shoe pastry and they had to be eclair shaped well yeah. that was the only guideline okay and i have never made an eclair but now you have so i have but I made them before watching the episode this Ooh. week, and I think I would have avoided some of my problems had I watched the episode first. Oh, well, live and learn, I suppose. <laughs> right. But so based on your experience, would you say that this is a difficult bake? No. No. Okay. Incredibly simple. Well, that's When they were like, oh, shoe, shoe pastry can be challenging, I was like, no, it no it's not. <laughs> And what makes shoe pastry different from so many others is that you cook it in a pan. Right, you cook it over a little bit of heat before you end up combining everything together. But you'll notice that they didn't spend a lot of time with them making that pastry. No, because is it pretty straightforward? It's incredibly straightforward. Okay, well that's fun. So most of the drama of the episode came from fillings and flavors. Right, and I don't understand why everybody seemed to struggle so badly. Yeah. Because four hours is a long time, and this was really a choose-your-own-adventure. And this was a lot of people being too ambitious. Mm. And I will say, I when I made mine, they were pretty involved, but they were all things. They were all the pieces were simple on their own. I think that they were trying to do a lot. And but you'll notice that the one that won, you know, Richard with Star Baker, his were not especially complicated. No. Yeah, that's true. And for one thing, they complained a little bit about Richards being unimpressive looking. Right. But it's better than like a soggy mess that exactly. like uh, Kate or Martha threw the up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, poor Martha. However, that twirl of rhubarb, that was really something. That was pretty cute. Yeah, that was real pretty. Actually, speaking of rhubarb, they called hers American themed. Do you consider rhubarb to be an American fruit? I think... I think it is. I think it literally is. I think it's a new world vegetable or fruit. I, I would call it a vegetable because it's like celery. I just, I don't know. It's not, I don't really like rhubarb. I don't mind it. You have to mix it with a whole lot of sugar. So <laughs> it's like, like celery that you add to stuff. But Ryan loves it. I don't know. Maybe I haven't had it right, but like mm. I bought some one time and I was like, gross. And <laughs> so I've never had it again. It's not a Southern thing at all and so it might be lack of familiarity or that we don't really know how to cook it but usually it's mixed with strawberry and it's very tart 
And so a lot of sugar tends to get added to it. I'm trying to think if there's an equivalent thing where like a tart fruit. It's actually not American. It's Asian. Oh. It came over from China on the Silk Road. Interesting. So. So it's not American at all. No. Her other one was American because, you know, maple and bacon. Bacon. Yeah. I was just thinking, I was like, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I consider American. Like, you know, like American as apple, perhaps. Yeah, as apple pie. There we go. Although I don't think that those are actually American originally either. So, okay. Oh, well. I have heard that rhubarb's another thing where if you're going to grow it, that's a good place to start because it can't be killed. That it's like a monster. And people will give you like huge chunks of rhubarb plants from their backyard because it's un- unmurderable. Another, you know, thing that I think complicated things for people that I don't think that they needed to have taken on was a flavored shoe pastry. The chocolate. Oh, man. The, the chocolate, bake. the basil, the the different things that they were putting in there. It's harder to see the bake. The bake. Yeah. That's so that's that's challenging. But also. You risk overcooking. You are putting a filling and a topping on there which will have reasonably strong flavors on top of the butter you've already got in the shoe pastry, this subtle flavor is not going to come through. No. And hence the the basil that Mary might be getting on the bus home. Right, which was a pretty good line. <laughs> that was. But I half believe that Paul didn't even taste it. He just wanted to like pretend that he had a really defined palate. <laughs> I don't know why he would do that. But okay. I don't know. <laughs> you hate Paul so much. <laughs> But I think you hate Paul slightly more than I do. Probably. (laughs) But I I just, I thought that that was not a good use of time. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. I will say I would have eaten any of those. Yeah. Even the messy, like supposedly a failure ones. Well, and they didn't say that any of them tasted bad. Yeah. Oh, they did say that Nancy's were sickly. Oh, the raspberry ripple. But to me, that just means they're like, it's really sweet. And I was like, well, I, it's a dessert. I want it to be really sweet. It's in contrast to the smoked salmon you just had. Yeah, I get that. The smoked salmon I found interesting, though. Like, I don't know. You've made eclairs now. Is that sort of an intriguing thought that you could have, like, that eclair pastry texture, but with more of a savory filling? Yeah, I think that that could be really interesting. And, I, you know, I think that she was kind of smart because they didn't say it like this, but both of Nancy's flavors were kind of like things you'd put on a bagel. Oh, fun. You're right. And, and so, you know, she, I think that she was kind of taking cues from other bready kind of things. But I, the ones that I wanted to try the most are Richard's with the lavender and the rose because I've not eaten a lot of stuff with floral in it, and I would be interested to see how that would go. And they always hate it, except Mm -hmm. this time. So it must have been something pretty, pretty special, because Mm -hmm. they, I think Mary even comments that people have not gotten it right up until this point, but that he got it right. And actually, there's another ingredient that uh, is used this week that they normally don't like that went pretty well, and that was Luis using peanut butter, in the PB&J eclair. I, yes, I noticed the same thing. And they, like, no negative comments whatsoever, just good stuff. I, it makes me wonder, like, what what are people doing with peanut butter? How do they not understand know, peanut to butter? To make it so claggy. Cla- yeah, it's supposed to be claggy, it's peanut butter. And I think that he was the one that had the, the pecans <laughs> in his. <laughs> yeah. Do you say pecan or pecan? Pecan. I say pecan sometimes. <laughs> I, I don't see anything. And I remember someone in high school saying, do you pee in a can? And like, I just don't see how that's related to this issue. Like, no. like this has nothing to do with pronunciation. But, do you pee in a con? Yeah, exactly. Like, just a strange. But I think that 
Merriam-Webster would probably say either is fine. But yeah, it's interesting just to find out. I, I liked that at one point Nancy says that she is a traditional with a contemporary twist. It's adorable. And Kate starts cackling. <laughs> I, I really think that Kate was the viewer this episode. <laughs> you, you know, she's like kind of upset and kind of all at loose ends. And she's like, I really sucked yesterday. I have to do great today. And she's like, I just did okay today. I'm about to go home. I'm fucked. Like, yeah. <laughs> but she's she's having a good time. And in, yeah, in a way she is. And she said she's gutted, and I believe it. But she saw it coming. There wasn't, like, any doubt in her mind. Right. And Nancy gives her this look after she starts laughing. And she's like, no, you totally are. Just, <laughs> just like... <laughs> I think that she was just maybe she's tired maybe she didn't sleep good the night before and she's just a little punch drunk but yeah i <laughs> she was real punchy i agree and it was i'm gonna miss kate because her humor's great and her hair is great and i'm gonna i'm just gonna really miss her hair yeah i i, I watched one of the holiday specials where she was one of the people that came back and i was like oh just the best yeah she like personality and pretty impressive physical beauty so but speaking of kate's do you like neapolitan no it me either doesn't taste like anything it's like the ice cream equivalent of fruit cocktail oh and fruit cocktail was the jam when i was growing up and i can remember my brother and i fighting over the cherries that are in fruit cocktail and the cherries taste like nothing and have no texture so i don't know why children but (laughs) children love things that taste like miscellaneous nothing helen has started well she's eating a lot of like little pieces of food now and currently she's on like an 80 percent fruit diet so you can imagine what that's doing to her intestines but i uh, got essentially what was like fruit cocktail in these little cups made by dole and i tasted a little bit of it and it doesn't taste like any one fruit it tastes like fruit cocktail i don't know how to describe it but yeah that's how neapolitan ice cream is to me it does not taste like vanilla chocolate and strawberry it tastes like neapolitan actually the original neapolitan didn't have chocolate in it it was green white and red for the italian flag and it was a pistachio ice cream oh so it would have given me diarrhea as i (laughs) am (laughs) that doesn't sound good at all (laughs) every time they use pistachio i think nope doesn't even look appealing just looks like a wave of stomach cramps followed by pastry week would be so scatological i know it's my fault i brought it up every single time it's not you i'm I apologize to any listener. Uh, I imagine that with a baby, your whole life just kind of goes in that direction. There's a lot of poop. There's a lot, a lot of poop. Also, nobody told me when I had a baby that like roughly half of my free time would be devoted to cleaning the high chair. Oh, gross. It's not terrible because it's food. I mean, you saw where it came from, but it doesn't just get on the tray. It gets inside the seat. It gets underneath the seat. It gets all on the sides. Recently, she had a fistful of banana and rubbed it in her hair and then pressed her head against the headrest. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so my mom, I remember, advised me to buy a high chair that could be theoretically rolled into a shower and hit with a stream of hot, steamy water. And I was like, you're bonkers. And now I'm like, so you had four children. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm really glad that I followed her instructions. I haven't had to do it yet, but there is crust a foreman that is going to take some special effort. Way off topic. There we go. No worries. Anything else to say about the showstopper? It's <laughs> it's really sad that, that Kate goes home. Richard Ooh. gets his third time up as Star Baker. Yay! Oh, oh, I forgot his uh, his chicken stairs. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like to imagine his super, like, blue-collar, like, worker, what do they call them? A builder. His builder dad being like, my chicken stairs, I can't do a British accent, but, like, my chicken stairs have been on TV. And, so like, close. look at these chickens. They, they, they're fancy chickens. But, yeah, I was pretty excited about that. Like, and just the fact that it's, like, to be on television, but also to be stairs for chickens. Love it. Love it. All right. All right. So we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back with our recreations from this week's episode. All right. So we're back. So this week I attempted the showstopper challenge. I made 24 eclairs and I pulled my recipes from kind of all over. So... And I'll kind of talk about them as I as I get to them. So the first step is that you need to make a shoe pastry, which begins by understanding that shoe starts with a C. So you can look it up in the index of your recipe book. So I used the Mark Bittman How to Bake Everything. Mark Bittman, famously from the New York Times for many, many years. And it it really has been useful in how to bake quite a number of things. So Hence the name. Right. And so putting the pastry together isn't hard. To make a shoe pastry, you are looking at combining some butter, some water, and some milk, and sugar, flour, and uh, and salt. And then you're going to, once you're going to heat that for a little bit until it all comes together, and then you're going to beat in four eggs. You can beat it by hand. It works just as well to beat it in with the, the mixer. And... And you want to beat that in with the the whisk, you know, because you're trying to get it fully incorporated and you're just trying to get it in there as much as you can. And then this is going to come together into a dough that is not especially sticky. You know, oh. it, it works out pretty well. Yeah, that's good um, it's, it's going to come into like a, a light tan color. So I mean, it's really easy to see when it's ready. And then the next step for eclairs is you can either, you know, uh, freeze the dough and use it later or you can kind of like use it immediately. And my recipe said not to... Uh, to fiddle with it a whole lot but like if you can squeeze it through a pastry bag this dough is pretty okay and so you're going to load this into a pastry bag and then you are going to pipe out four inch eclairs did you use uh did you draw a line with a pencil on the wrong I side did. of parchment so I, okay sweet so i drew my line on there and it said four inches long but it didn't say how wide it was supposed to be it just said use a wide round tip on your pastry bag so I, I used the widest one I had, and I was like, well, all this pastry is supposed to make 24, but I have a lot of pastry left. Mm. And so I kept kind of going back over them and adding more lines. <laughs> and what I realized is, watching the episode, I needed to have used a much bigger hole. Okay. They were <laughs> fat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like a fat, like... And then I, in, I eventually ran across another recipe where, like, it needs to be about four inches long and one inch wide. Oh, wow. So and if I had known, not using a tip at all, just right. cutting the end off the bag. And that's what I would have done. I would have used, instead of using a, my reusable icing bag, I would have just used a, a Ziploc bag with the end cut off of it. Yeah. And Live and learn. Yeah, so live and learn. But they also say that, you know, shoe pastry is going to puff up. And so I was like, well, depending on how much it puffs, depends on how much it really needs to be in there. Mm-hmm. So I stuck them in the oven. And you're talking about, like, having to recalibrate for oven times got this new oven and it's my recipe said 25 30 minutes for these they were absolutely done at 20 whoa yeah good thing you were checking i was going to take them out at 20 and like move them between the racks and i pulled them out and i was like 
These are done. Oops. I pulled them out, and they were not the cutest things I've ever seen. Mm. Because those, I thought that, like, maybe they'd melt together a little bit in the oven under some heat and kind of congeal into one mass, but they kept their structure. So shoe pastry might actually be something, like, if you need something that keeps its shape a little bit when it's baking, might be a decent choice. Hmm. Well, that's a thought. Yeah. I So I pulled them out, you know, let them cool, and I put them on a cooling rack, and because I have limited counter space in my kitchen put the cooling rack on my dining room table and I turn and I start working on my fillings and I turn back around and my dog Bess has eaten three of them and she's <gasps> jumping back up on the table to get a fourth one. And I knock her snout out of the way <laughs> and go, bitch. no. <laughs> and she, she's in here while I'm recording. She's how, look at me. How she big knows is she's she? In, she's 65 pounds. Okay. So, and like any idea how tall, like is her head on table level? No, no, no. She's jumping up with her paws and gnawing at them. That naughty girl. Yeah. And my table is uh, is center-weighted, so it's got like one pillar in the middle. Oh, so if no. she jumped her full weight on it, she could have brought the whole thing over. Oh, my God. And then you'd have to make her into dog treats. <laughs> exactly. So I took the remaining eclairs and stuck them on top of the refrigerator. Can we pause for a second and back up? And let's remind any listeners that Bess has also set your kitchen on fire. Yes. And... and sh- Tried to eat your wedding feast? Yes. Yes. Bess is an incredible dog. Like, she's like a Marley-style dog. Right. It, now, luckily, she's only ever eaten stuff. And that's the thing. She doesn't eat things that we, like, normally leave on the table. It's really just pastry that she's a big fan of. Which, honestly, I can understand and respect. <laughs> she's a dog with great taste. Right. So we stuck those on top of the fridge. And so then it was time to make the fillings. Because all eclairs are basically the same. I decided to do a key lime pie eclair and to do a chocolate coffee. Ooh. Yeah. I'm behind both of those. For my key lime pie eclair, I made a lime curd, which is where you take lime zest, eggs, uh, sugar, and lime juice, and you combine them all together, and you slowly cook it while constantly stirring until it reaches about 165 degrees. Where did you find the recipe for that? So I got that recipe from the Barefoot Contessa Parties, her entertaining cookbook, which is her favorite cookbook of hers that she's written. It was also the lowest selling. Oh. But it's also the cookbook where I catered most of my wedding. It's a really great one. I highly recommend it. And so I made that, and you have to be very particular to pull it off the heat at the right time because otherwise the eggs will curdle. Oh, And so, but it's really obvious when it's done because it goes from being like a liquid and it gets like pudding consistency. Oh, good. Okay. So I pulled that off, stuck it in the freezer to freeze. And while that was going on, there's a lot of egg yolks in the curd. And so I used all the whites from that to whip up the meringue for the top of these eclairs. How many eggs do you think you used total? I used four. Oh, that's not bad. Uh, No, not not at all. I was thinking of when I made that darn baked Alaska with the ice cream in it. It's like 12, maybe, maybe 15. Right. Well, across the entire recipe, I used about a dozen eggs. See, I feel like if we continue with this baking hobby into our dotage, then having chickens is not a bad idea. Maybe not. Or having a friend with chickens, you know? Yeah. Mooch eggs without seasoning. I was like, I can't afford to be real particular about the eggs that I buy because I just can't afford them. I guess so. So, <laughs> you know, I would buy nicer to the chicken eggs if I could afford it. Um, I get it. But you could be nice to your chickens. And however, I have heard that uh, having your own chickens is not a money-saving venture and that you had better like chickens. No. And I have a, a, a friend in Tifton who uh, has chickens and then hawks and snakes ate them all. <gasps> oh, yeah. There's this book called Buy, oh, what is it? Make the Bread, Buy the Butter. 
and <laughs> she has a whole chapter about it's basically like a suburban woman wanted to test and see did it actually make sense to make these everyday products so she did everything from like having her own beehives that didn't go well to having chickens and that was a mixed venture because uh like your friend everything wants to eat them right everything uh, they're very low on the food chain yes as is shown they're delicious we eat them constantly so i made the lime curd and so whip up the meringue which is just egg whites with a little bit of uh salt in them so i made my meringue and then i like tasted it and i was like right 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 forgot to put powdered sugar in this so Ooh. i just <laughs> so I, I let it go some more and just <laughs> added the sugar in and i was like that has a better shine to it now and it doesn't just taste like egg <laughs> like breakfast <laughs> well just like egg white i was like mm, nothing <laughs> so so i get my pastry bag out and i'm filling it with lime curd so i can fill my eclairs and I have two suggestions about that I came up with this week that are my like rock star tips of the week. And the first is we've talked about how hard it is to fill a pastry bag. Yes. Yeah. You very cavalierly mentioned that you filled a pastry bag earlier and I was like, that bitch. (laughs) So I have a new trick now Ooh. because my biggest things are I need basically three hands Mm -hmm. while I'm filling a pastry bag. You know, one to hold it open, one to like kind of one to hold it steady, and another to put the filling in. That's why I had a child. And then the other thing is, I don't know where to put it when I need to put it down, yeah. so that it doesn't like leak on the counter or on anything. Yep. And so I was walking to get something out of the other room where I keep some of my lesser used tools, and that's where all my glassware is. And I was like, oh. ding, ding, ding! Picked up a champagne flute. Ooh. And I then I use for those. Right. And so I pulled, so I wrapped the the icing bag down around the sides of that. And then I just filled it directly into the champagne flute and poured it straight there and then just rolled it back up. Good to go. Oh, I like that. Side benefit, when I needed to put it down to pick up another eclair or something, you just dunk it right back in the champagne flute. Nice. Because it's right. a nice stand up. It's the good size. And I'm glad that I had this because my lime curd was not thick enough to stay in the bag on its own. Oh, no. It was a little, it wasn't like watery, but it was runny. Right. I got the eclairs down and I tried a couple of them where you like, you like cut a little hole and and pipe them in there. All on Nancy. But I found that to be. Tedious? Tedious, finicky. I couldn't see how much was going in there. And because my eclairs were a little bit on the more oddly shaped variety. (laughs) I didn't Strike the eclairs. (laughs) Right. I didn't really have the control that I was looking for. Because it wasn't one long, smooth hole, was it? Like, I would imagine that it was somewhat segmented because you would use... Right. Okay, gotcha. And But even still, I even think that if I had a long tubes, if you're going to put any sort of topping on this eclair, I say cut it open like a hot dog bun. All right. That makes it a lot easier. And I noticed when they did that on the show and thought... Can you do that? And now you're telling me yes. So some of them were like cutting them all the way off like sandwiches. Yes. And so I was like, okay. And they didn't have any problem with that. But I think that this hot dog bun, it still keeps it as one unit. So it's easy to pick up. And if you cut it on the top, you're going to put a topping on there anyway. So nobody's ever going to see it. Yes. And the eclairs I was making were four inches. So you can eat them in a bite. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's not like it needs to hold up a lot of structure. If you make like a six, eight inch eclair, you might want to, you know do the holes let's but back I up a little bit i just uh looked at about a four inch section with my hand and that's a hell of a bite there mac well two bites 
I guess two bites. Okay, we'll give it bites. Like, you have a real big mouth, evidently. I do have a big mouth. Mm, in more ways than one. <laughs> All right, but... I was like, there's something like saucy to say there, but I'm, I can't get there. So yeah, yeah. Well, I just meant that you talk a lot, but I wasn't trying to be vulgar. Like You so. never. I know. <laughs> I'm the one who's, bring, who's brought up poop like 15 times during this episode. So anyway, so that's what I did. And I, I filled them straight up that way. And I thought it worked great. Awesome. And then I got some graham crackers and I crumbled them into a powder and then I well, I piped the meringue on the top in little dollops and then I powdered the graham cracker on top. Sounds and that was and that was my key lime eclair. I would eat the hell out of that. For the other one, uh I got the recipe from King Arthur Flower, because now that you've turned me on to them, I cannot stop. <laughs> and so but it's their coffee eclair recipe. You know, and so you make this this filling that's got so and that their recipe actually has like a way to make shells and all that sort of stuff. I just needed the filling part. Right. And so it's sugar, flour, some eggs, vanilla extract, milk, and then you add a little bit of espresso powder. And I made a chocolate or a, a coffee flavored thing for our very first episode, that Swiss roll way back when. Mm. And I had to buy this big thing of espresso for it back then. And so I was like, all right. I remember sticking that in a Ziploc bag and then I put it in a cabinet. Oh, boy. And I could not find it. Did Did Dale take it? He drank every bit of it. <laughs> marriage. If that doesn't and, sum up marriage. <laughs> and so we had some instant coffee that I'd baked with something else. And I was like, I bet this will be fine. And it totally was. And so the way that a little, did you like tear the kitchen apart looking for it? And then he was like, oh, I drank that. I did, but I've only got like seven cabinets. So it's like, well, it's not here. (laughs) I must have thrown it away or something, but it's, I was like, I know it's not here. I thought that this was made a little interestingly in that you combined all of the stuff except for the, the milk and the sugar Mm -hmm. and you put the milk and sugar in a saucepan and then once you've heated it to boiling, you pour a little bit of it into the mixture, mix that together to bring it up to temperature, and then you dump it all back in the pan together. Yeah, yeah. And so a, a tempering, did anything curdle or were you good? No, everything was good. Now, they do mention that if you cool it down, uh, they say to put oil on the top of it, which I thought was weird. Yeah. Um, or to put like a melted butter, because if it cools down, it'll get a skin on it. Oh, I see. I, and and I figured I could just mix it, mix it back up and it would be fine. Yeah. So I piped that in, and that had much more of a, like, chocolate pudding consistency. That's it was awesome. much thicker. It did not dribble. It was much easier to use. Probably made and for then prettier. I, yeah. And then I, I tempered some chocolate, you know, with just melted it down with a little bit of heavy cream. And to top those, I didn't pipe that. I just, you just have a pool of chocolate, and you just dunk the top of the eclair on it, and then you turn it back over and let it dry. Mm. And that's just all there is to that. And so... So I ended up making 21 eclairs because I, you know, best. I thought that they turned out pretty well. Okay. Uh, I preferred the key lime ones. Uh, I thought that they were brighter. I thought the lime curd worked out really nicely. One change that I would make, I you couldn't really taste the graham cracker. Okay. And so I think that if I were to make it again, I would mix the graham, I would powder the graham cracker, but mix it with the lime curd. Oh. Which would help thicken that up, but also give you more of that flavor. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. For the coffee, I thought it was okay. You know, it tasted mostly like a chocolate eclair with cream on the inside, like a very classic eclair. And then you got a little coffee in the aftertaste. Dale actually told me that a day or two later, those got better. Like oh. the longer they sat, the better they became. 
that's surprising. Right. Which thought I, they'd get soggy. Right. And he said they weren't getting soggy. I, I didn't have them because I kept forgetting to take them to work. And so he'd eat them throughout the day. Um, <laughs> all of that puts together. That might have taken me two hours. Wow. Maybe two and a half. And it sounds really complex, but I mean, you don't seem like you were stressed by it at all. But but none of the pieces are complex. I mean, you know, how complex is it to make a meringue or to temper some chocolate? Not particularly. No. It's just and there's a string of things that need doing and you just do them one by one. Right. And when I've, you know, kind of decided I'm not going to kill myself to make the time limits, I... Same. Baking is relaxing for me, and so I'm going to do them one at a time, and I'm just going to relax and do it, and, you know, I don't want to get to the point where I've got so much going on that I can't, like, have a TV show on in the background or something like that. I feel like we're more using the show to inspire us to bake things we ordinarily wouldn't and to see how challenging are they, because to do exactly what they're doing would just, like, mean that you'd have a nightmare in your kitchen and never want to do this again. You know, I, I will say, like, the biggest pain in the butt of this one was just that I had to keep cleaning stuff. Yeah. You know, I need <laughs> I needed my stand mixer a couple of times. You need a production team. You know, right. Noobble, <laughs> noobble. Just, here's, the, here's what I'll say about eclairs. They are not any more complicated than a lot of stuff that you might make to take somewhere. But nobody ever, you've never like shown up at a dinner party and someone's like, and this person made eclairs for dessert. No, that's true. It's, you think of that as something that you can only do in a bakery. Right. And, and it's, it was so like, and especially if you just wanted to make a basic eclair, like, you know, with a cream inside and a chocolate top, it's so simple. Yeah. And that, and that's why, like, I was so gobsmacked by everybody having such trouble getting in on the time this past week huh. is just, you know, I mean, you're talking about maybe an hour altogether to make the shells and then everything else is just gravy. Go figure. It was, I think it was probably, they probably looked at it and thought, well, this is simple enough that I really need to pull out all the stops. And maybe that's what it was, you know, so, I mean, the biggest things that like I need, you know, I learned to take away was just to, to be careful of the size of the eclairs because they will maintain their shape. They'll get bigger, but they keep that shape. So if you've got creases or anything, you want to maybe judge that with a spoon or an offset spatula. And then the other thing to be aware of when it comes to eclairs is you are not going to use all that filling. Okay. Gotcha. Have a plan for like... Like, lime curd keeps for a couple of weeks, and you can dip fruit in it. So, like, but I've got a cup and a half of lime curd. Hmm. I've got a bunch of tempered chocolate left. I've got, you know, that that chocolate pudding mixture. I've still got quite a bit of that. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to figure something out. Some sort of a, You know, that was like, uh, and all of it will keep for a little bit. The only thing that doesn't keep is meringue. I'm and, pretty but sure that's... that you could bake a lime curd into a tart. Oh, probably. Yeah, just to make, like, a small tart. Would do I it. used it as an ice cream topping. Oh, that sounds nice. It, it was nice. On vanilla? Yeah. With a little bit of chocolate syrup. Well, I got bad news. Hmm. My baby's awake and real mad, so okay. I better... That's fine. We're done with this one, and so we can, we'll can we pick back up later, and we will get yours. Okay. All right, and we're back. Uh, we had a little bit of a gap in recording there because... Uh... <laughs> a sizable break. Yeah, because as as Megan just told me, uh, Helen has reached her toddler stage and it is uh, intense. And she's only 10 or 11 months old. And we went on a journey together and it was a five hour drive each way. She wasn't real happy about being in the car, but I got to visit Savannah and see a friend and that was awesome. And now we are home and I'm ready to talk about pasties that I made quite some time ago, but still have some pretty fond memories of. All right. So, and that was the signature bake for this week was 
yes. an enclosed pastry parcel. So tell us about what you did. I went ultra traditional. I mean, if uh, Norman was still in the running, he definitely would have gone for this particular pasty or this recipe. I chose to do, the recipe doesn't actually call itself a Cornish pasty because apparently that is um, protected sort of term and uh, some would see that title as being pretty narrowly defined and it's also protected by law fun fact and the author of the recipe that i used which is from the book dinner pies by ken hadrich which is a book that i love calls them cornish meat pies in order to avoid dispute though i doubt there would be any and the thing that is done differently in this recipe is that the vegetables are cooked a little bit and in the traditional pasty everything goes in raw but i really like the flavor of an onion that's been softened up a little bit and so i went with that and i was happy with it agreed i don't want an onion that's I don't want a crunchy onion, no. really, is how it basically comes down. Not even on a salad, honestly. No, pick that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> even shaved, even mandolin, I just not my favorite. Although I have heard, I've never tried it myself, that if you soak a raw onion in water, just let it float there a little bit, that it takes some of the um, sulfury kind of sting out of it and it can be better on a salad. But I, you don't sound like you're all that into even that idea. <laughs> No. no i was like onions are great in a lot of things like you know the blooming variety <laughs> a friend has realized recently that she is allergic or has an issue with onions that causes great intestinal distress and so i did a little research on it and found that for some people onions are not adequately processed in the gut and they have this They have something called fructans in them, and it can cause them to ferment in your intestines, which has some consequences. I'm pretty glad I'm not one of those people because it's sort of hard to cut onion and garlic and all those alliums out of cooking because if you start paying attention, they're in almost everything. Being an adult is fun. (laughs) Your body refusing to cooperate with anything, with life. (sighs) Well, for this recipe, I started by making one of the book's recipes for flaky and sturdy hand pie pastry, and that was really easy. This book I love because it just makes the assumption that you have a food processor, which I do, and gives the the quick and dirty version. It, it does explain how to do the dough by hand, but I honestly, some people buy food processors because of all their vegetables that they need to cut up. I bought it to make pastry um, because I am a healthy, healthy person. I skipped some of the suggestions like... You're supposed to cut up the butter and shortening and put it in a single layer on a flour dusted plate and you put that in the fridge and you put the flour and the salt in a bowl and that all goes in the fridge too. I just figured, okay, room temperature to cold is cold enough. So I started with flour and salt in the bowl of my food processor. I went ahead and whisked up one egg some cold water, and I did put some ice in the water beforehand to get that extra cold since I was cutting corners elsewhere, and a tablespoon of white vinegar. And you can't taste the vinegar in the pie crust at all. Then I took my six tablespoons of unsalted butter, uh, cut it into cubes, and also two tablespoons of vegetable shortening, Crisco. So you pulse a couple of times to mix together your dry ingredients, and then you scatter all of your wet ingredients over, excuse me, you scatter your butter and shortening over the top. A couple of pulses turn that to crumbs, and then you open up the top of your food processor, distribute about half of the water mixture 
water, egg, and vinegar over the top. Close it, pulse a couple of times until it's a little bit more wet, and finally add the last of the liquid ingredients. Then you've got uh, sort of a loose, clumpy mixture. Dumped that out onto my kitchen table and divided it into four balls. Wrapped those balls in saran wrap, pressed them slightly with with my hand to flatten them out a little bit to where they were maybe like an inch and a half, two inches thick in a disc. Those all went into the fridge while I prepared the filling to my pasties or my Cornish meat pies. While those were chilling and kind of coalescing a little bit, firming up so that they could be rolled, I threw a couple tablespoons of butter in a pan and cooked half of a large onion, added about two medium diced carrots and one small diced russet potato that I had peeled. And one thing that I thought was interesting is that I usually try to avoid putting raw meat in a pasty or in in anything, in any baked good. But in this case, it called for eight ounces of small cut sirloin or top round steak. I went with the top round because it was cheaper. And (laughs) it turned out really well. It was tender because I had started from raw. It didn't have a chance to get overcooked in the pie, but it was still perfectly cooked when it came out. So even though that made me nervous, I was glad that I did it. I cooled my vegetables, add my diced meat on top, mix it up, added a little bit of parsley, a few shakes of Worcestershire, some dried thyme, and then I was pretty much ready to go. I pull my discs of crust out and roll each one into its own separate little round. And the rounds came to around nine inches. So each one was nine inches. So this is like a sandwich size pie. This is not like a cute little appetizer parcel. So the ones you made ended up being much larger than the ones that were made on the show. Yes. You kind of made like a a maxi version. And I realized that while watching the show that Paul and Mary probably would have been annoyed with me, but I was happy. I made these for dinner. And I made them for a weeknight dinner, and it didn't feel over-the-top or crazy to do that. So it was very doable, and it's a way to kind of work baking into a weeknight meal instead of, you know, like a huge sugary confection, which is nice if you don't necessarily eat a lot of sweets, but you still like to bake. Right. So that was fun. So I took my nine inch round and left a gap of about an inch around the edge and covered half of that. I put the filling on about half of the round, folded it over, and then twisted in a rope. And so you twist over one little section and then twist over another overlapping section all the way around until you get to the edge of the semicircle. And then you just sort of give it an extra squish at the end and hope it sticks. And it did. None of them split. None of them leaked. I put it on a silpat or I put all of them on a silpat, and they all fit on one sheet. Those baked at 375 degrees for about 40 minutes. It says to transfer them to a rack and cool for 15 minutes before serving, but we were hungry. So it (laughs) made it maybe five minutes on the pan. They turned out pretty well. If I were to do it again, I would replace the russet potato with something with more flavor. Maybe a sweet potato, maybe some really well-wrung-out spinach, because... You've got pie crust, which is delicious, but starchy. And then if you put potato inside of it, you get more starchy and it doesn't have like butter, sour cream, a huge amount of salt. The recipe suggested that I serve it with gravy, but I skipped that because I wasn't cooking any meat. And my understanding is that you usually use meat in a pan to start the gravy. And since this meat started from raw, it just didn't work. I thought gravy came from a packet. Oh, no. (laughs) 
<laughs> that does exist and I've heard it's not bad, but I haven't <laughs> I haven't done it myself. I wish that I had. It needed a sauce, especially with all the potato inside. That's what I was thinking. You were talking about so much dry stuff and I was yep. wondering, I was like, I don't know. I mean, I know that it's kind of juvenile, but it's like, I mean, could you have dipped it in like a barbecue sauce? I dipped it in ketchup. Okay, yep. that's I what I was thinking of, like up. an A1 or something. Exactly. I wish I'd had A1. I didn't have any in the kitchen, but you can tell this was sort of a slapdash affair. I thought I had everything I needed, but, um, <laughs> and I did to make the thing itself, but not to make a sauce. They talk in the episode about how there are parcels from all over the world, that every culture has one because they're delicious. And I agree completely. I feel like you could really mix up what goes inside and the preparation remains essentially the same, but you could get a whole host of different flavors without a whole lot of effort. So I would definitely make this again. I would make it for company, but I would think a little harder about what was going to go into it and definitely have some sort of a sauce on hand. Do you think that it is an entire meal or do you think that it needs to go with something else? It would have been better with a side salad. It, it would have been better with something a little bit fresh because it is hearty and it is a little bit heavy. If I were, honestly, if it were a weeknight meal, I wouldn't bother. But if I were serving it to guests, I would have made sure there was something a little greener on the plate. Or maybe even like some roasted broccoli or just something to freshen it up. And you said you made four of them, right? I did. Yes. Okay, so y'all didn't, did y'all each eat two or did you save the other two? No, Um, we each ate one and so... I was going to ask how they kept and if they were, if they were good later on. They kept great. They were good later on. I didn't put them back in the microwave because in my opinion, the microwave kills pastry. Like if it was ever good, after that it will not be. So instead I put the oven at a low temperature to warm up the remaining two, probably about 250, 300 and just put the leftover pies in while the oven heated up. And by the time it reached temperature, they were fine and warm enough to be the perfect eating temperature. And still the crust was light and flaky and it was pretty great. I would do it again. So is there anything else that you wanted to say about your pasty? I highly recommend it. People should do it. It should be a weeknight dinner. America should be more of a dinner pie eating country. And once again, I really recommend the book Dinner Pies by Ken Hadrich. It has every meal pie under the sun that I could think of. And I have never made a bad one. And before this, I had a really terrible book that was supposed to be along the same lines. And I made a pie that probably weighed about like eight pounds because it had so much grease in it. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it didn't. Oh, it was supposed to have like a pound of bacon in it. And it didn't ask that I drain it. And every now and then I ignore my own instincts and assume that the recipe author knows best. Hmm. And then sometimes I find that it's true. And sometimes like then I have an eight pound pie that I don't want to eat. Yeah. And I'll have to give, I've never actually made a dinner pie. I make other kinds of parcels, but I'll have to give this a shot. I think that I've avoided them because it reminds me too much of a casserole. Mm, You don't like casseroles? I love a casserole, but I had a lot of them growing up. Okay. And so when I started cooking for myself, I was looking at things that I was less familiar with. My mom did this kind of, like dinner pie called, oh, I, I can't remember, Tex-Mex pie. That was it. But it's like, think basically 
taco meat and some cheese and you put a pie crust over the top and it's like domed and you serve it with sour cream. It's amazing. I asked you for the recipe one time and it's like clipped out of a 90s good housekeeping magazine, but that is some soul food for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I and I love some of those casseroles, but it is just, you know, not a way that I've ever really learned how to cook. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to maybe trying some of that stuff out. Do it. Do it. You won't be sorry. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you like the show, tell a friend or give us a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. You can also reach out to ask questions and let us know what you think of the show at theginghamaltershow at gmail.com. You can also find out more about the show and see pictures of our attempted bakes on Instagram at theginghamaltershow. Our theme music is Cheery Monday by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. It's licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0. All these details and more can be found in the show notes each week. Thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Megan. And this is Mac. Wishing you a lovely bake. (laughs) 